record. Now studio is in session. Look at me go. Danny. So, welcome back to Frivolous Gravitas, where we speak frivolously with much gravitas. Myself, Christopher Driver, and my co-host Jordan Roy. Today we're going to be discussing the uh, the subject of radicalism and extreme- extremism together. I'm not sure exactly how we're going to title it officially, but um, they're essentially synonymous with one another. So we'll start off with uh, with definitions of terms, just so we know what we're going to be discussing and what we're not going to be discussing as per usual. And uh, I'll let Jordan take the wheel if uh, you'll kindly lead us to our temptations. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, deliver us not from uh, extremism. Uh, for thine, uh, thine is the terror for an ever and ever. Amen. Um, <laughs> so in bastardization of uh, sacred rights aside, <clears throat> we decided to take a crack at something uh, that is it's passed around a lot in um, modern parlance. You know, you see all oh, these extremists, or they're just extremists, or they're just extremists, or radicals have taken over this area. A radical sect is talking about this, or uh, and it's used very um, nonchalantly. But at the same time, we do see that there are actually uh, those um, extremists in uh, every facet of every discussion. Um, now, I personally, I think we'll be taking this extremism and then radicalism are generally the kind of the same things. You do something radical that is uh, going to an uh, extent uh, or something unexpected. You do something new and different, but it's, it's definitely an extreme. And extremism is you're going to an extreme. You're taking something to an extreme. Um, so it's the so excess generally- that makes it extreme, right? That's what we're right. So, yeah. Um, now, this is okay in rhetorical. So it's like, where does this line of thinking go when you take it to its extreme? Uh, and this is good with anything. Does it fall apart when I take, uh, say, Darwin's theories to their extreme? Well, we learn a lot from that. But um, with other things, it's when you apply those extremes, it tends to cause a little problem. Now, extremism, so I'm going to be talking a lot about, uh, well, we are going to be talking a lot, a lot about extremism, so the tendency to take things to an extreme, and then a radical, rather than radicalism, because uh, I don't want to use too many synonyms. So a radical or an extremist, someone who goes to an extreme. So a radical is like the individual, the, the noun, and extremism is like the subject matter, right? Just yeah, and these are very interchangeable. Uh, I'm sure some uh, etymologist uh, is going to see this and just seethe at oh, our... Oh, but for the um, purposes of our discussion, that's what we're getting Yeah. At. Not that so these are the definitions. Are definitions <laughs> right, we could, we could look it up on, uh, on on the definition on, like, internet uh, dictionary.com. Yeah. yeah, Jamie, pull that up. Oh. <laughs> but um, the... So, but what actually is it? Um, Now it is so broad because you can take anything to an extreme. Uh, You can take exercise to an extreme and exercise too much. You can take um, 
laziness to extreme, in the actual nothingness to an extreme, extreme nihilism, uh, extreme like actively doing nothing, extreme uh, anything in too much essentially is dangerous. Uh, so uh, a glass of water is fine, but uh, if you're stuck in the ocean, that's a bit, you know, you've gone to a bit of an extreme. So Which is a common theme across our, our, our past episodes, if we care to do a shameless plug. Uh, yeah, check them out. Um, moderation this, is the key to everything. Yes. Uh, that golden mean. Mm. Um, <clears throat> all right, this isn't COVID. I just talked too much. Uh, so if you're all worried. Um, so I'm terribly to, worried. <laughs> <laughs> so to get started, <laughs> to get started, um, uh, I'll just go over some of my notes here. So one thing, if I want to start at, uh, I guess the most basic aspect of what is an extremist, uh, what is extremism, and what makes someone an extremist? It's someone that takes uh, one thing above all other things uh, to an extreme and where that thing in itself holds more authority over anything else in the world uh, and it holds more authority over any of the consequences associated with it. So the ends justify the means essentially, um, no matter what. We that's the philosophy of the extreme. Well, this right? is kind of my this is my my uh, my thought of what it is. So uh, let me let me just move go on a bit more because it's it's a little more complicated than the ends justifying the means. Because um, I want to get a car, I want to get my car fixed. It's broken. I have to get to work, uh, and I can't. I'm. It's going to. The money I'm going to spend on the deductible is going to uh, make it so that I am going to have to lower my calorie count for uh, the next month. The ends justify the means. They do. That's not an extreme. It's it's a it's a it's a hard decision to make. But I need I'm choosing uh, income long term over um, over uh, immediate. Uh, uh, health, yeah, loss. immediate loss. So now the thing in itself we see is kind of like, well, we've talked before about, you know, enjoy the journey of your life. Now the journey itself is a thing that gets you to this teleological end by which the extremist will look for. And all extremism to me seems to have this teleology to it. You, this, the end is more important than the journey in, in every case. And that end is found in very pithy, convenient sound bites that are very poorly thought out. So we have uh, things like workers of the world unite and uh, hear cries of Deus Volt and Carthago Delenda Est. And, you know, uh, more recently, if there's even one chance or if there's a chance of even one death, then we can't do this um, or that or we must do this, uh, taking things to an extreme. Uh, you know, must go to extreme measures. That isn't to say that certain teleological ends are uh, undesirable, uh, such as um, the uh, d 
destruction of the Axis powers uh, 75 years ago, um, which that teleological end was um, was very highly desired. Uh, if you think not, well, let's have a debate. Fight me. Um, then, can you describe that actually? The the Axis the Axis powers falling. So Axis powers. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that. Sorry. So the Axis powers were a uh, a group of the uh, Imperial Japan, uh, socialist National Socialist Germany. I, think some of those words are banned on YouTube and um, <laughs> and the uh, fascist Italy uh, in addition to other smaller powers um, so these were forces of corruption chaos whatever you want to call it um, uh, disorder even though they claimed that they were orderly um, they were forces for of little utility in the world if we get back to mill mm. so and they were also extreme positions now they are also obvious positions so we will be glossing i, I would like to gloss over the the obvious ones you know the uh uh go away from uh not national socialist germany and the obvious other one which would well, be put. And uh, glossing over um, uh, any Stalinism or Maoism, because they're obvious. These are obvious evils, and they're obvious extremes. So I, what I want to get into is more mundane extremes, because we all, to some extent, uh, hold some extreme positions, because sometimes it's fun. Uh, and we don't now, always recognize when we're holding those extreme ideas, too, right? Right. So I want to go fast. No, I want to go fast. I'm going to do anything and able to go fast. So, you know, you're a teenager and you got your first car. Now the teleological end is I want to go fast and I don't care what the consequences are. This is an extreme position. So the thing is, is that this is of little utility to anyone else. So um, the thing is, is that I'm getting across is that it takes all kinds. And the thing that, and but there are ways out of it. You can ask yourself, are you sure? Is this what you really want to do? Is this right? Because when it comes down to it, you have the ability to choose. And extremism itself is a choice between you know one set of actions, which is like, I want this to happen now. Uh, it's also characterized by uh, extreme impatience um, a lot of the time. But it's uh always settles on things that don't seem to be very well thought out um so you end up with rhetoric of unreasonable demands for uncertain and poorly defined overly idealistic ideas and ends so again we have there will be a uh communist utopia once the bourgeoisie is overthrown and like all the petty bourgeoisie are going but i don't want that I'm just trying to live my life here. Um, or, you know, I'm sure the people of Carthage would have not really agreed with Cato the <laughs> Elder's, um, uh, you know, philosophy of, you know, uh, nuke Carthage and salt the earth. Um, Other than the small minority so, of masochists. As a, 
Yeah, but that was his political position. And other people thought, well, if Rome wants to be strong, Rome needs to get rid of Carthage. And then you have uh, Scipio, uh, you know, uh, there's a story of him crying at the on the walls of Carthage after they've, you know, conquered it. Uh, and he's like, oh, what is this? Like, are you crying for, uh, you know, the Carthaginians? I might be telling a story wrong, but he's like, no, I'm, he's essentially crying for Rome because he knows that the strength of Rome came from its antagonism against Carthage. And this extreme war of the Third Punic War, all the Punic Wars were uh, in the end damaging to Rome, which kept it in check and kept it from going to such extremes that would show up later in uh, Sulla, Caesar, Octavian, um, and uh, the later emperors. Um, less so for more moderate ones, which weren't going to as much extremes like say Aurelius. Um, but uh, although there are instances where that could be wrong, again, none of us are pure. Mm -hmm. Which is a key Pure, thing. Another to, ism there, Puritanism, we might have to get yeah, into as another version purity, of extremism. Yeah, purity is definitely shows up in a lot of these. Uh, and that's the thing. None of us are pure, none of us are sacred. We can strive for it. And that's a noble strive, striving in, in itself, as long as, you know, purity doesn't involve the destruction of others or the domination over others, unless it's, you know, there's. There are places and there are arenas for uh, uh, civilized combat, which is why we call them arenas and we play hockey or football or baseball or whatever. These are civilized <laughs> things that we can do. And, you know, you don't have to go to such an extreme to find that and to push yourself against others. So um, to move forward again, radicalism and extremism can be a synonymous, uh, but again, a radical is someone willing to go to the stream, willing to do what is necessary to attain that teleological end, to get that, uh, that thing. So you see um, crusaders, uh, you know, all my sins will be absolved if I go kill Muslims. <laughs> That's the Pope's using you. <laughs> so um, you see this in, um, uh, more modern ones on the other side where you have, well, let me make two examples here. You have uh, a volunteer, uh, U.S. Canadian Army volunteer. These are volunteers. Now, there's a very big difference between a volunteer army and a conscript army. A citizen army, citizen soldiers versus uh, extremists versus conscripts. Every, uh, the way you fashion your military is, definitely says a lot about your country. Um, it's not just well, there to protect corporate interests. It's not just there, you know, to, uh, you know, as a offensive arm against your enemies. So it's so, like the difference between coercion and willful volition, right? Like joining right. a force versus being dragged into a force versus being forced to be a force. Kind of. Right. If you have to convince your soldiers why they're fighting, yeah, that's a problem <laughs> yeah so looking at you china all that propaganda most soldiers don't need propaganda <laughs> so like look at the uh canadian um volunteer rates for the first and second world wars it, something to be proud yeah. of but um so a volunteer aren't a soldier in the u.s or canadian army 
sitting in that trench. Now, you have another soldier, different theater, and he has volunteered a, to fight for ISIS. Now, there is a distinct difference between these two men. Um, and a lot of people would make this as a false dichotomy and saying, well, a soldier's a soldier, all soldiers are bad, or all people that engage in any form of violence is bad. Although those are the, tend to be the same people that think that words are violence, so shut up. Um, <laughs> the, so I'm gonna ignore that. These people are different. One is there protecting, uh, one is there and they make war to defend people, to defend uh, things that they feel are worth defending. So like um, to protect their values or something like that, right? Right. One is there defending ends and is willing to do things for it. One hopes that they will survive and go home. The other thinks that, you know, uh, it doesn't matter if they survive or not. Because, you know, the religion of that sacrifice itself is part of the extremism. So you have even in these extreme circumstances, you have these, um, you have these extremes. You can, war itself is an extreme and we should only do it when pushed to that extreme and be ready for that extreme in case someone, you know, decides to march into Vancouver and start marching east or something. And we should be ready in order to win that extreme situation, but we shouldn't be, you know, looking for it and anyone who looks for it is definitely bordering on extremism um that's sort of what you mean by warmongering or whatever right is when people yeah. are looking for combat rather than defending themselves from it yeah if your country doesn't go to war for an extended period of time that sounds like a successful country to me looking at you Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> um so the although i can't say appeasement is the best option. Anyway, that's a different discussion. So the thing is, is that the ends, again, are justifying the means. You are going to war because you want to take Sevastopol and the Crimea. You are putting troops on your borders because you think Ukraine shouldn't exist or something like that. These are extreme positions. And the people that follow that rhetoric, even though it doesn't really have any basis in reality or influence on their life go yeah we need to do this to make our people great to make this abstract idea uh happen well what do you what are you willing to do for it well they're just ukrainians that's a common phrase throughout history and it hasn't shown to be very uh happy for the other people so you justify these evil things that you have to do in the case of good and you end up with like uh you know Batman scenarios or something where it's like, I do these things so others can't or something like that. And I protect the good. Yeah. Or like some Watchmen stuff with nihilistic uh, nonsense other than that. Cause people, if you give them a chance, generally I think people will survive, surprise you. And it's you that also that to- superhero complex too, where you sort of get the hubris to think that you can fix or save everyone. Cause you're right. And they're wrong. It sort yeah. of lends itself towards that extremist or radicalism. Yeah. And like, oh, I should be able to do this. It's like, well, if the entire town gets together and uh, builds and refixes the road, we can all get it done faster. That's pretty good superpower to me. Uh, yeah, like, cooperation is the superpower. 
like if we all get together and put a fund in so that we can like all have health care that's a pretty good superpower <laughs> so these aren't radical things they're just things that we've constructed uh things that are possible now the thing i want to do is that you people think in very simplistic terms i keep bringing up mill and utilitarianism and you have this well i'm going to do this thing which is obviously evil you know kill uh the lesser of two evils you know there's always an evil choice blah blah blah, blah. there's there's always a you're always choosing between two more non-moral choices. Now, the thing is that we've been shown that there have been instances in history where people have found a, I guess what I would call a third path. You know, the trolley problem, do you kill a bunch of seniors or a bunch of children? Well, is there a way you can save them? And they go, no, no, you can't save them. It's like, is, am I bad if I try? So this is what, we've been doing we, we we still have to do triage in society but once we figured out penicillin it's like that was a third way do we give uh comfort and aid to these people or these people do where do we put our resources to mitigate things like tuberculosis or things like uh you know just infections and tetanus all these things that are killing people or do you put our resources well you do the one that does the most good now all of a sudden this guy sits around and he accidentally discovers penicillin or someone like Jon Snow with the cholera epidemic uh, looking around and finding a way to mitigate uh, the spread of disease in, in the London's water supply. These people who had, I guess, their superpowers were just working diligently and found a third way. Now, every day we don't have, we're not on, in our everyday lives, we're not really confronted with these. Do I get a hamburger or do I go get some ramen at the ramen joint? It's like, this isn't a really a moral decision. Uh, I guess you can make a moral decision. Uh, do I, which one is locally owned, I guess? Um, oh, no, the vegans would have a good, good way of going about it. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they'd have lots to say. <laughs> um, so. But I guess just to, um, to sort of clarify, you're giving an example of what we're not considering extremists, right? Like Correct. to do that triage would not be considered extreme, even though the outcome is extreme. It's life and death between a senior and a kid with regard to the yeah. trolley problem. But with the effort of the person trying to make a right decision, regardless of whether you agree with them or not, the right decision isn't an extreme decision because they're just trying to do the best thing. Right. So now this doesn't work when you are an EMT and you come to a, you know, an accident with a bunch of people on, uh, you know, strewn about some uh, in various states of um, uh, injury. You can't just be like, well, is there a third way that I can save them all? No, you need to make a decision there. I'm sorry. That is a, that is a trolley problem. Yeah. And that's just, that's straight up triage. And they're doing the same with the, um, with a lot of these vaccines that are coming out. I don't think we can say that word on a, uh, uh, the, uh, China Fuck virus. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we, uh, can't, um, but there's things that we can do that can, we can think about, are there, is there a better way to do this? And we can definitely think about that. Now, a radical, uh, or, uh, someone who's using extreme ideologies, uh, 
will end up they they know what the decision is decisions are already made for them you in this situation you will do this because that's what we do in this situation you do this and because that, that's what we do uh, and these are uh all these actions are explained and all these actions are legitimated by you know some sort of logic uh group x is bad so it's okay to you know hurt them or uh, harm them or just throw them in jail or uh, keep them relegated to poverty or uh, make sure they wear all the same clothes or something. Um, so these easy answers are generally a good indicator that you're dealing with an extreme position. If the, if the answers are coming too easy, it's probably extremism. So now if the, yeah, if the answers are coming too easy, if this happens, do this. That's not a state of freedom. You do not have a place to choose. It's just like you are being uh, subsumed by an algorithm uh, that forces you to do something towards an end. You're giving yourself up to that algorithm of extremism in order to get that religious end you want. Uh, do you think there you, are any situations where we should be able to say that if this do that and it's not extreme, or is it a blanket case that all times there's a a temporal myopia at play? Well, um, if you're coming up on the uh, if you're coming up on a defense who shoots left, maybe a deke right to get around him unless you're near the boards. But like, it's 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 very complicated. That's like I said. But I'm talking, I guess, about um, the obvious cases. Yeah, the obvious cases. So the ones you can think of that I don't even have to mention, but like in the, you see this a lot with, uh, I guess the last year of politics. So-and-so is bad. Anyone who says this word equals bad. So words like second amendment, uh, oh, that's, that's Trump's side. Is it? There's a lot of Democrats buying guns right now and I'm sure they'd like to keep them. They're finding out that that waiting period is a thing. Um, mm -hmm. The one that they think didn't think was a happening. Um, or uh, the word abortion, you know, each side, right and left, will have like, oh, abortion bad, and you know, on the other side, will be like, abortion good, and it's like, but they know, jump to like the statement of you're a baby killer, like immediately if you have a, an opinion or a thought on abortion before discussing it, they just they'll label you and brand you as an extreme version of whatever they can they can imagine as the worst case scenario. I think that's yeah. The extremism we're talking about. Well, even if you're in the middle, both sides look at you like you're on the other side. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the this now when you're on those sides, my thought is that you don't actually have freedom to choose. So before I said you have to ask yourself, are you sure that that's right? You're watching the news and they say this is bad, and you're like, oh, that's bad. That's not an act of freedom. You have to feel like, is it bad? And then you do a bit of looking up and you're like, well, it's not good. I don't like it. Um, but yeah. So that's a use of freedom. That simple uh, act of, you know, checking before you agree. Um, and you are allowed to have opinions on either side. But the thing is that you, when you act on those, when you go to uh, the protest to protest the thing, and you don't actually know what you're doing there. I remember there was a protest here in Ottawa, sorry, not Ottawa, in Edmonton here that I went to and a news guy went up to this, uh, this, this kid and he's like, what do you think of this thing? And he's like, oh, I don't know what to say. And I like look down on him because I'm standing on this ledge to get a good uh, 
view and I look down and be like, say something worth saying. And he's like, uh, and then he like goes, never mind. And that's just like, see, I, I said one thing that forced him to think about what he's going to say before going, yeah, do this because everyone's just listening to the person, uh, you know, talking and, and agreeing with them going like, yeah. And then everyone's feeling great that everyone's there in agreement with them. And I'm just standing there going, just because I'm here doesn't mean I agree with you. Like one, I'm here as a historian to see what's going on. Two, I'm here as a citizen to see what the rhetoric's going on. Three, um, well, there is that like, you know, is there gonna be a fight I wanna watch? Uh, It's also a curiosity. Like you wanna hear the best argument they have to make. If even right. if you don't agree with it, you want to hear them out. That's the whole yeah. thing. Yeah, and I was disappointed because they didn't make any arguments. They just yeah. made accusations. I had so, the same problem with the Occupy Wall Street movement where as an economist and a trader, I went to the the protests and it was impossible finding somebody who could speak cogently on the matter they were protesting. Yeah, so we'll talk about Occupy Wall Street probably in a subsequent uh, more um, uh in a subsequent session where uh, we'll get into um, like another activism, episode, you mean right? another episode where we get into pro- protesting and activism because foreshadowing um, foreshadowing because believe it or not, I took part in the occupy wall street movements uh, in Winnipeg. I'll have the papers out next time to show. So I, uh, I do have a few things to say, but that'll be for next time back when I was an extremist. Mm. So, um so these and extremists taking these positions where if i go back to the beginning the thing in itself is more important and has more authority than the consequences of attaining that thing and supersedes any other things uh that people could want uh then um they deny themselves and others the freedom to choose they become slaves and the end in itself is the chain that shackles them. The freedom offers no uh, teleological end, but allows the individual to choose again, to make make amends, to find a third path, any harder path that will take strength, thought, discipline, and courage. And once any road is blazed, others can walk down it you choose again and find a better path, well, other people can follow you and they can find their own paths uh, from your path. And that's, that's called how growth. We... <laughs> Thank you. It is. It's, at, and it's, it's mature growth is almost ideas. Yeah. Growth is almost a um, slur nowadays. Oh, it's like progress. Look what progress has got us. It's like, well, not everyone's unhappy and you haven't died of, you know, typhus. So, or mm. cholera or tuberculosis. And infant mortality isn't like three out of seven. <laughs> yeah. Women like women aren't generally afraid to get pregnant anymore. They can decide to, yeah. uh, which is in itself like growth. Um, and this in itself, this ability to choose is something and probably the most powerful tool you have against personal extremism and other extremism so you know if people tell you stand up with us put up your hand like this and do it do it you'd be like no i choose not to or uh if you uh 
you can choose to uh, work on a problem instead of just talking on a, on a problem. You can uh, choose to engage in more substantive debate rather than uh, re relying on sound bites and cliches um, and rather than using your own words and your own thoughts. And if you rely on others, then you are seeing, you are nearing extremism. But it becomes extremism not when you're not thinking, but when you're moved towards the end, uh, that end you want, that end that you think will be the best for humanity or the best for everybody, uh, is more important than any other end. Because we need a lot of things in this world, not just one. And I think it was, um, was it Friedrich Hayek in The Road to Serfdom who discussed that when society works on just one thing at a time, we lose all the other things and which fall apart. We need to all work together in diversity, uh, which has kind of been a theme of this entire uh, series. Um, in yeah, order it's similar to, get to Paul Freire and uh, his Pedagogy of the Oppressed. He sort of uh, touched on a lot of those same mm -hmm. isms, I guess. Um, and then speaking of isms, maybe I'll just go back quickly to uh, the Webster Dictionary of Extremism, just to sort of differentiate what we are covering and what we're not. <clears throat> the uh, the quality or state of being extreme, super useful definition. Thank you, Miriam. Uh, advocacy of extreme measures or views, see radicalism. So there really isn't a clear cut definition of extremism. So it's important, I think, in our discussions, as we have just done, to sort of delineate what we are and aren't discussing, just because the concept itself isn't an ism. Most isms are like really densely packed set of ideas pushed into one word so you don't have to reiterate them over and over again. But in this <clears> case, like no, no matter where you speak of extremism in any walk of life, it's entirely relative to the context that you bring it into. I think that's an important point to note because when other people are discussing extremisms, if they don't define their terms, they're really not saying anything about anything, to put it bluntly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So today we're going to be talking about cats without actually showing or mentioning or yeah. you know, discussing what a cat is. Um, radicalism, the definition by, that uh, Miriam Webster offers is uh, the quality or state of being radical and the doctrines or principles of radicals. So again, it's very nebulous would be considering like to say it was nebulous would to assume it had some form like a globular form, but this has zero form there. There's right. There's no specificity to it whatsoever. So when people say it is this or isn't this, they're actually being extreme by telling you what extremism is. It's the connection just dipped. So. So. Uh, I think a lot of this also uh, has to do with the fact that um, we use different words in different uh, silos of discussion. So religious scholars might use the word radical or they might use the word um, uh, heretic or uh, heathen. Um, they might use infidel, infidel um, uh, which is... And then, you know, political scholars might use words like, oh, this extreme faction or this extreme this or extreme that, because we see, you know, there's the rhetoric right now where you are, you have this spectrum of opinion that goes from here to here. And meanwhile, I'm just like, no, I'm not really anywhere on this. I'm kind of have here, 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 here. And 
and most things in life are on a spectrum, right? I mean, black and white yeah. thinking is the problem. But I find the spectrum itself to be, you know, encourage black and white. So you have this line, where are you on this political spectrum? It's like, that line is dumb. Or you have like the, um, uh, square, the, uh, the four quadrant thing. It's like, where are you on that? It's like, you know, different places for different issues. Mm-hmm. And like, but the thing is also like also different places for different moods. If I'm waking up and someone asks me, what do you think about this? And I'll be like, I think it was dumb. But if, <laughs> you know, I take time to think about it, I'll be like, okay, I, I don't like it, but you know, I, I realize that other people should be allowed to do thing A or thing B or, you know, I, I'm, I'm not against people smoking per se, but I'm against people smoking around me. Um, yeah. Like, uh, I didn't know how much I was against it until I went to Rome and everyone's smoking, everyone's smoking. And I'm just in walking around the city going, Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Oh, geez. <laughs> I haven't had an asthma attack in like two decades because uh, no one's been smoking around me. Uh, so didn't even know that was a problem. So. Well, in keeping with uh, but, our discussion today, I was wondering if you'd mind if I took it to um, uh, break it down into little modules. And we'll sort of cover yeah. the non-obvious versions of extremism, just chunk by chunk, so that we can actually focus on them and dissect them a little bit, uh, if you're cool with that. Yeah, because it'd be good to come up with examples, because my definition, I think, has a lot of um, flaws to it, and that was very long-winded. But uh, So before we roll, what I said essentially, a very short thing mm -hmm. was... Um, when it's not just not thinking it's not just acting without thought because you know sometimes you just you know you get angry and you just like oh this rustles my jimmies and then you punch the wall and you put a hole in the wall and you're like i did that without thinking i shouldn't have done that like yes you took your anger to an extreme but you took it out on a wall so you know yeah, how and it doesn't that? that action that ex action was extreme but you are not an extremist you are not thinking I punch walls when I'm mad because that's how you deal with madness. It's like, uh, no. Um, or we need to, because there's always, and I think the end is very important itself. So when you're working towards something, so extremism is almost what I would call modern idea of a religion. So I think it has that end and the end is, should be attainable by any means necessary. And when you are focused on the end and not the journey, as well as the end, then you become an extremist. Um, and so, yeah, let's let's look at some actual examples and okay. get a better. So I apologize for the audio. I got my got. HVAC system going. Can't be helped. Yeah, it's he's living in Winnipeg. Freezing cold here in Winnipeg <laughs> right now. What's up? Yeah, I was like, he's living in Winnipeg. You gotta yeah. forgive a bit. <laughs> we need heat. It's just going to happen all winter, so I guess we should learn to deal with it. But um, to yeah. start, before we get into uh, specific examples, you had mentioned a couple things that I wanted to just see if I could get you to elaborate a bit on. Um, the first is, well, the first that came to my mind was the, the, the idea of like triage, where we have to decide and choose what the best option is from, from one decision to the other. For instance, with the uh, antibiotics, is, is I think is a great example because the overuse of antibiotics breeds antibiotic-resistant bacteria. So um, in making those decisions to avoid extremisms, uh, how is it done that's maybe not so 
appropriate and how should we be doing things in that regard in making those selections to avoid the extremism um well that's the thing um i want to get rid of my infection or well, give me antibiotics as an infection or what if the doctor says there's no infection or it could be give it to me and then you know the doctor is just uh, out of weakness will assign them because they don't want to have that fight um and you know they're it's because you know just giving it to them is better than not giving it to them but, but in fact it's absolutely the opposite um so that is an example of the necessity of a moderate approach now you have something extreme like violence which is also a tool um now people are going to call me machiavellian or whatnot but it, it's true um violence like antibiotics is a tool uh, just like a hammer. Uh, if you're building a house, you need a hammer. Or, you know, if you're building, uh, have a carpentry project, you need a hammer and hammer and nails. But if you're putting a book back on the shelf, you don't need a hammer to get it back onto the shelf. You just put it there. It's too much of a tool. You're using extreme. Well, I want to make sure. Well, it's the same thing with something like violence, where um, if there's an angry mob coming for you because they are, uh, they want one thing or another. They, um, uh, violence might be a useful tool to defend yourself. Um, or for, for law or, enforcement, uh, for example, you might have to physically yeah, law enforcement from, from their home because they need to be arrested. Yeah. Well, like, uh, those or guys that do money trucks. What's up? Yeah. The guy that the guys that uh, run around town with uh, delivering money to uh, from banks and whatnot, and they, the 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 money trucks which go around and they are they're armed. Um, they are cognizant of the fact that uh, people want what they have to such an extreme that they will need to uh, back that up with a uh, equal or not if not greater. Uh, amount of force should the need arise. So is it the um, system though that's someone, extreme or is it the people making the decisions that are the extremists? People make decisions. People make up the system. Now, I, I don't want to say, I, I, I don't really don't like saying, oh, it's just a system, but because people make decisions. Now, if someone's attacking a truck, um, they are probably going to an extreme instead of getting, you know, a job uh, or, you know, uh, trying to do something, they've decided the best way, the best use of their time, is to uh, is to attack a money truck or do something or to commit uh, burglary or some sort. Instead of taking the harder path, well, I need money because you know, well, they don't. You don't understand that they, they. It's a necessity for them to do. It. You don't understand life on the streets. It's like I understand desperation. And I understand poorly thought out consequences coming from desperation. And I understand that that's an unreasonable response. Um, so on the flip so, side, somebody robbing that armored truck, though, to say feed all the homeless people for a day 
like even if their motives were virtuous or the, they believed in what they were doing to be the morally just robbing from banks who didn't invent the money themselves it's the people's money it should go to the, like whatever idea they come up with yeah well you got um, that robin that hood be, idea but that would be extremist too right yeah well you get the the idea of like um a robin hood character well i'm doing this because i'm yeah, putting exactly. the money back on the street it's like neat um why don't you guys start a business, get an investor, go to people, go get a plan together, go to people with money and be like, I've got an idea. Would you like to, you know, support us? And eventually if you knock on enough doors and you have a good plan, you might get a yes. You might get a couple of yeses. Um, but you know, we don't so think it's not just the villains that are the extremists though. Right. No, of course like not. to fall under your, the categorizations that we're talking about it covers any type of view itself where the goal itself is as you said uh the means and by all means yeah so to, let me uh, just let me just make this clear i guess uh that there there's no such things as villains and heroes uh there are people that do heroic things and we are all villains uh to some extent and we're all capable of villainy um and sometimes um it's like yes there's gray areas and there's all that you know you, you watch batman or something it's just like whoa everything's gray moral choices are complex deep it's like yes we are all well it's that famous solzhenitsyn thing the uh line between good and evil uh goes down the heart of every man and that's because we have the choices to make in our life and yes sometimes we have to do bad things uh but it's good to think that those bad things are well thought out and justified so again we go back to war uh d-day was a tragic event and the months after d-day were all tragic though nothing um nothing about that was you know um it was there was heroic men doing heroic things but they were doing still um very extreme things and those extreme things was it was done but it was well thought out enough that this was the best option out of all the other options uh, like the losses of hundreds of thousands of people um was the best case scenario and it took a lot of people a lot of time to think it's that that was it now i think i'm getting off track so i think um, that was a perfect segue towards the revolution which is the, the first thing i was going to mention uh okay so, yes yeah I, I had a reason for steering you this way <laughs> okay so maybe you could speak a bit about um like how extremist views influence social reform um so um i guess that comes back to what do you want um oh, i want a world where everyone has food awesome that's a great thing to want mm -hmm. everyone has enough food to eat that's a great thing now uh i also want a world where you know people don't freeze outside in winter uh you know especially the homeless in canada i want there to not be homeless people or at least people that uh are lost in society um 
because you know not everyone wants a home, uh, but everyone kind of wants a home, a place to be, a place to belong, and it's more what than just needs. Uh, yes, um, so you want as many people as possible to have that hierarchy of needs satisfied, to you know some extent. And the more we have them fulfilled, the more we want the higher tier stuff. And you get people nowadays who are like, why don't I have self-actualization? Give it to me. It's like, do you you know what you just said? (laughs) Um, How come I don't have meaning in my life? Like, are you serious? Go find it. (laughs) You have, you know, you have eyes, go read a book. Um, So the... um, and the, a lot of people are turning towards seeing that when there's a failure of that, they think that the system's collapsing around them. And I think uh, what's happening in the States right now is a perfect indicator of, sorry, a uh, strained voice, don't want to lose it, is a perfect indicator of um, uh, these expectations uh, not matching with reality. Now, my first example uh, will come from a couple hundred years ago, and we can con- compare and contrast it with nowadays. Uh, and I think it's very useful to. So keep in mind everything that you've seen on both sides, take them equally, as you should, always should, um, and uh, you know, compare and contrast them. Now, the story I guess I'm going to start telling uh, starts in uh, after the Seven Years' War. Uh, one of the combatants, the Kingdom of France, spent all of its money on a losing war, uh, which they fought uh, all over the planet against um, various other forces, uh, most prominently the um, British Empire. Uh, which they lost significant ground in colonial holdings. Um, Now, regardless of what you think about colonial holdings, it's not the point here. The point is is that the French crown went into into immense amounts of debt, which it wasn't able to pay off. Now, the monarchy felt that it was in control and that its privileges were, you know, God sent and, you know, they're not willing to give them up. Uh, but the thing is, is that the peasants weren't living very well. So this coupled with certain, uh, extreme enlightenment rhetoric, uh, enlightenment rhetoric taken to its extreme, uh, namely we have created a scientific society and we should just give it to everybody. So they're, they're taking Locke and saying, everyone is born free. They're taking, uh, ideas of science and they're adapting them to um and to uh politics and they're saying we can form a scientifically you know stable society and and apply these concepts to this and that look what america did without actually looking at what america did because what the americans did was actually successful extremely extremely successful because they had consulted enlightenment thought they had also consulted um uh, previous uh, proper constructions of free states. Uh, they had also cons- consulted the um, Iroquois nation as to how to structure uh, certain um, 
parliamentary structures, which the Iroquois had constructed. Go look up the Iroquois Confederacy. They are fascinating in every way. Um, anyway, so um, the French didn't pay attention to how much work that the uh, Americans had put in because the Americans had uh, those founding fathers down there. They had come up with a conception of what the country should look like before they instituted. They came up with a plan instead of a vision. So here's what we want. What do we have to do to get it? Rather than here's what we're going to get. What do we have to do to get there? And so the French, thinking that they were, uh, you know, Talleyrand, all these guys paying attention, look over themselves and they go, we're not free. Everyone's the same. There's only one or two people that are free in this society. So they attacked them and overthrew Crown uh, in 1789, and the French Revolution started. Now, this quickly got out of control because they hadn't made a conception of what they were doing. They were playing it by ear, and they were treating the revolution itself as an end. Uh, we won't be done until we reach some utopian goal, which was never really defined. They hadn't answered, what do we want? Well, we want a revolution. Well, they got it. Now it's terrible. And so you end up with phrases like this. And this is Maximilien Robespierre uh, in his one of his uh, speeches. Um, I could also quote Marat, but um, he was even more uh, vitriolic. So <clears throat> Robespierre says, said, it is necessary to stifle the domestic and foreign enemies of the Republic or perish with them. Now in these circumstances, the first maximum of our politics ought to be to lead the people by means of reason and the enemies of the people by terror. If the basis of popular government in time of peace is virtue, the basis of popular government in time of revolution is both virtue and terror. Virtue without terror, is murderous, terror without which virtue is powerless. Terror is nothing else than swift, severe, indomitable justice. It flows then from virtue. So what is he saying? He is legitimizing the use of lethal violence on his own, uh, on his own people and the people external to the uh, revolution and saying that anyone who is other can be subject to any uh, action regardless of um, regardless of how severe. So this was poorly defined. This was all he says was um, anybody who is against the revolution essentially, can be subjected to a terror. So in our society, we do have um, similar structures. Uh, the, uh, the state itself holds a monopoly on violence, which uh, is manifest in police and military forces. Um, now the police forces, if you exhibit actions which are uh, immediately uh, Dangering the uh, life or um, 
person of another person, they have the ability to use violence on you. So um, this goes back to, I guess, Locke, where if you are endangering someone's life or a uh, person, uh, you are in a state of war with them. And um, you, the body of the people has the right to uh, exercise uh, war against you in the form of, you know, uh, uh, violence if you persist or uh, just or the legal system if you surrender. Now, terror is very poorly defined. So you have this extreme position. We can subject anyone we deem other to this position for the means of the revolution. Now, what is the revolution? Well, it's anti-monarchy, anti but it's also anti power it's anti-bourgeois it's anti-rich uh it's pro everything the french thought was you know french and it ended up with uh what was the guillotine it ended up with an ineffectual government for uh 11 years it ended up with wars fought all over europe um in an attempt to spread the revolution all over the world free the planet from the tyranny of uh, monarchies. Meanwhile, the British had uh, done something similar, but less um, bloody 100 years before in the Glorious Revolution, where, and a couple hundred years before that with the Magna Carta, where the rights of the nobility and the crown were slowly being eroded and the rights of the everyday citizen were being expanded and the franchise was being expanded up until um, the early 20th century, where um, like women started to get the vote and in America where um, uh, blacks were uh, given votes. Um, and now we live in a time where, you know, we are free and we didn't need to shed all that blood to get there. Um, the, the justice is also poorly defined. So you have this, the, the, these ideas. So you have virtue, that which is right. Now, that which is right is held up by uh, terror. So use of this is a virtue. So you're legitimizing this uh, indiscriminate force on those you call other uh, without definition to perform a justice, which is um, almost impossible in itself to define. I want justice. Cool. What is that? Instead of using the word justice, why not tell me what you really want? Um, now, what they wanted is uh, probably looks a lot like what we have today. Um, now, this didn't work at all because 11 years after the revolution started, they uh, swore all the people, the citizens of France, swore their allegiance to the emperor, uh, Napoleon I, who in a... Uh, in another extreme move, uh, attacked and brought the revolution and destabilized Europe in um, a way that had never seen been seen before. Um, in the name would, of the revolution, would it be all right uh, so, if I just stopped you there for a minute? Sure. Okay. Um, you've left me so much to chew on and dig through here. I just wanted to make sure it didn't get too far ahead of ourselves before. Uh, I was I was pretty much done there. So essentially okay, what I'm saying is that, that. Yeah. the extremism of the French Revolution ended up producing 
nothing at all like what they um, what they wanted, and they didn't get any of their ends. In fact, they ended up with an even. Uh, they they traded one uh, master for a different type of master. Uh, so one monarchy, you know, an emperor for a king. Which one would you prefer? Well, they wanted neither, and they got you know they traded one in for another. So um, this ex is an example of extremism, and the extremism didn't stop, and it ended poorly for a lot of people. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you very much for that. You give me so much to uh, to, to um, twiddle your noodle over. The I guess yeah, I'm going to so, go in chronological order just because my memory works that way. I forget the later things first. So uh, the first thing I wanted to to see if I could poke at you is um, you had mentioned there there was there was two types of approaches with the uh, with the with regard to the the revolution. There was the here's what we want and how do we get there. And then there's, mm. here's what it should be and how do we get there? Could you sort of help us differentiate yeah. those two? There's, there's actually three. Well I, well, I would say there's four in my okay. opinion. This is my opinion. This isn't really I, I probably else's, missed so. some of them, so I'll, I'll give you more. No, I didn't get into a couple of them. So the easiest one and the one that's easiest dismissed is uh, if you want an approach to change, burn it all. And we're seeing a lot of that nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, burn it down. We'll build something better. Something will be built better later. And you see this with um, a lot of the, uh, the, uh, the the Greta Thunberg stuff. Now, that's a very nihilistic approach. So we may get into that, but I don't know. Now, that there's also the incrementalist approach. Yeah, there's also the incrementalist. Yeah, so the incrementalist approach which is uh, a lot like the British approach. So, you know, a little bit of freedom at a time um, as you slowly integrate it. So this is kind of the Edmund Burke school of progress. Um, the baby steps approach who, kind of thing, right? Yeah, let's think about it before we go through. Now, I'm a fan of Edmund Burke, but I, uh, um, I'm also a fan of uh, Locke and a lot of other guys who disagree with him. Um, now Emmanuel the Kant. American one, yeah. Yeah. Now the other one was um, the American approach. So the incrementalist approach is very much like the British approach. Now the American approach would have been um, the uh, what do you call it? So they, they 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 had been thinking a long time about separating. There were a lot of guys just sitting there being like. It would be awesome if we didn't have to pay taxes to Britain and we ruled ourselves. And everyone else is like, yeah. And they were thinking about this for a long time and they were reading and they were these, these, these very intelligent men who were sitting around trying to figure out what would actually, what they could build that would actually endure instead of trying to, and they were looking at a lot of examples from all over what works. They were reading the Greeks, they were reading the Enlightenment thinkers, they were reading the Bible. They were reading. They were talking to the natives. They were talking to um, you know the French, the British, the everyone, because they wanted to do something that would permit people the most freedom. And uh, this, it ended up working. Um, and for a long time, uh, you've had uh, America was generally a 
a more peaceful place and a place of more progress than anywhere else in the world. And that's made it powerful. Um, <clears throat> I think a lot of the Americans ignore that. They, 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 they think that their country is either great or terrible based on, uh, without even understanding why they are great and terrible. Um, so um, the, the last one is culminated in kind of the, the French Revolution or the Communist Revolution in, um, in uh, Russia, where it's like, it's just, I guess it's very much like the burn it all down. Maybe it is the same one where you it's almost like the opposite. They just that. take control of everything and then try and fix it from the top down. Right. Well, that's what it ends up looking like. So they say they want, they say we're going to burn it all down and, and get rid of it. But what ends up happening is they, 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 they kill all the people at the machines and they just at the, at the machine of state. And then they just put themselves down in that yeah. spot and be like, and they're ah, like Oh, that's kind of comfy. Now I'm, now I'm going to pull these levers. <laughs> I'm going to pull these levers, but better and with more morality and virtue. So, hmm. and that's, uh, and they realize that they have no idea what I'm talking about. Now, a good place to go with this and to contrast with this are the autonomous zones in the States that are popping up right now on the uh, West coast of America in Seattle and Portland. Um, The Chaz and whatever the one they're calling in Portland is, uh, I don't have much respect for these, but they are an interesting case. Um, uh, so these are very similar. You have these people who have set up a, um, uh, you have people setting up these zones in these cities where they take over and they try and create their own laws and they try and, uh, create this better you know, place. Look, we'll just let us do it. We'll show you how great we are. But in, they end up doing the exact opposite and falling into the same traps that we saw our own society getting into, setting up poor police forces, setting up an, uh, unequal laws, uh, treating people uh, unfairly or uh, within the, within, without regard to the, with, unfairly with regard to the law. Um, we're all supposed to be equal uh, when it comes to legal matters. Um, and they're not doing that. It's a site of extremism. There's a couple sites of extremism. And they, they're, the extremism comes from the fact that they think that the morality comes from their oppressed status rather than from any reason, because yeah, reason is bad, which is in itself an extreme position. Although reason being the only thing is also an extreme position, but so their moral authority. So you get, you win an argument by being more oppressed. So those who are more oppressed become the, you know, upper class in these places. And it's okay to do violence to people as long as you're not. So it becomes this almost this terrible place to be. Um, Now, despite their best intentions, you mean, right? Right. So we see, this is a small scale, so a micro scale uh, occurrence. It seems to happen when people rely on uh, extreme views to guide them um, rather than sitting down and thinking. Um, and a lot of this 
is I'm almost thinking that what we're doing with this conversation is that we're uh, we're going beyond the, the word extremism. So I, I keep trying to refer back to it, but I think that's whole chaining me down. So I might just ditch it. Um, but <laughs> yeah, we could always we have subject this... to change later. Hmm. But I was so actually going to starting point. I was going to interject because what you're talking about relates to my next question. So just to make what you're saying under another bracket so that it's a little bit clearer um, of thought. Right. The, uh, you had mentioned the state monopoly on violence for the preservation of rights, liberty, and prosperity of others. Yeah. And that's sort of what you're getting into now, I think, is when, when there's like a centralized authority that's, um, that's deputized to enforce rule of law yeah is that sort of what or did i miss the mark yes. entirely no you're right so i was explaining i was explaining essentially how well we're both explaining how police work essentially so you give um <clears throat> so in our society uh we are um a group of uh citizens which means we're all free with regard to each other um now the way because we are free with regard to uh each other sorry let me start again because we're all citizens together and come together to um form a government an authority of the people uh we have to provide representatives to defend uh so soldiers um we're not going to historically we have chosen uh, and conscripted and you know uh it, it would be unlikely but it's not on it, it, i wouldn't rule it out but um generally we go for volunteers before we will go to conscription now we also have to provide representatives to uh go into the government um because you know someone needs to do our paperwork and talk about the issues that some of us don't want to deal with because you know you run a sporting goods store and you don't need to worry about you shouldn't need to worry about uh what your municipal government's doing or you know school trustee or something because maybe you don't have kids and you don't need to worry about the schools as much other than that your taxes better be pay better be going to a good school rather than you know just an edifice of education um then we also need people to uh mitigate the inherent chaos of humanity um there will always be uh certain uh elements in our society uh just individuals in our society that um act without regard to others uh you know well-being or happiness or property so you know we see that this is a lot of people that are desperate, that are um, uh, mentally unstable. Uh, some people would say that this comes from, you know, the structure of a society itself. But um, people make mistakes, and it places them in difficult situations. And generally, people are going to make bad decisions a lot. And some people's bad decisions end up hurting others. And that's when we need somebody to protect us domestically, because when you use the army to protect us, uh, domestically well there are some certain things there uh based on you know a national body uh sent in to aim its guns at the citizenry 
doesn't really work. So that's why we regard to a police force. They, they serve a different purpose. Would you qualify that a, as a version of extremism, though? Like having a force so. that's meant to be violent? Um, or only if it's employed okay. in, a, in an extremist way? No, I think, yeah, you got at something there. So it's a force that has the capability of violence rather than the a force that is meant to be violent. So you see mm. something like the NKVD or the Cheka in uh, the Soviet Union, whose in purpose was to be violent to the citizenry, um, to provide that terror um, uh, so that the people would stay uh, valuable members of the revolution. Um, Brutal counter-revolutionary uh, ideas. Um, so we give them the ability in our society in Canada here uh, to be violent. And um, the same way that if you are standing in line at a grocery store and someone tries to take a swing at you, you have the potential to, you know, hit them right back. Now, the that's the potential. I don't go around hitting people, but I know I could if you know pushed into a corner. So we make sure that these people are able to make that choice in the best way possible, which is why in the states right now you see um, that they did not make sure that these members of society who were trusted with these powers were adequately able to make those choices and not adequately trained to make those choices. Um, whereas uh, there are instances of, you know, training better uh, police officers, creating better, uh, more equitable policing. Um, so we don't want them, we want them to be able to use violence when it's necessary, but we want them to be able to make that choice in a uh, logical and reasonable manner, even if they have to make it real quick. Mm -hmm. like, and that gets an down back to that if X do Y kind of thing. We're trying to avoid that because that's the extremism, right? We want them to make a judgment call in the moment because that's the most humane, centrist sort of way of going about it. Am I hearing you right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, after that, then my next question for you based on uh, on your wonderful introduction there would be the uh, the spreading of freedom and revolution um, more currently that would be sponsoring coup d'etats and you know economic sanctions and things like that but historically they did it just as violently and subtly as uh, I think the Germans dropped a whole bunch of francs down on like counterfeit mo counterfeit money or something like that to try and ruin their economy of the, either the Brits or the French. I'm not so good with history. You'll have to forgive me for that. That but. does sound familiar. Um, but just stuff like that. Like, can you talk a bit about the extremism of imposing freedom on other people? Because it sounds like a virtuous thing to try and do. But when you start overthrowing governments in other countries, it sounds less and less like, like freedom and a lot more like imperialism. Yeah, so... Let me take a second for that. So, um, or do you want to take a break first before we get into the rest of it, just so I can record the video and make sure that's all tippy top? 
Well, let me let me just quickly go into something yeah, here before yeah. we take a break, maybe, because uh, nations influence each other, and they're never not going to, because uh, you want to make sure that your neighbors are going to play with you uh, in the way that you want to be played with, or dis. But you see now there's destabilization, so you want your enemies to be in chaos, and you want your friends to be in harmony. Um, I don't know, maybe it's Sun Tzu somewhere, but um, the that is Sun Tzu, actually, yeah. <laughs> So I just, I, you know, sure one of the. Uh, oh, well put. <laughs> but now, as a member of my society, I would not be terribly against making sure that my uh, enemies thought I was um, had a good system, and that I wasn't worth attacking, and that I was. Um, this and that. Now, the, what's interesting is that the everyone decries the Americans and of doing all this shady stuff, and they did during the Cold War. Um, now, I think a lot, and I'm not justifying a lot of what was done. I'm looking at you, Kermit Hoover, uh, and um, the stakes were a lot higher in the Cold War. Um, and they knew that. They knew that the um, it wasn't just the economy. It was every living human on the planet being alive. Uh, and so they were willing to go to more extreme lengths in order to do that. And a lot of mistakes were made in that name. Um, so... You think of Iran, you think of um, the, uh, you think of uh, Central America, anyone who, um, uh, Egypt and uh, deciding to go with the Soviets, so they lost a bunch of uh, uh, American, uh, Americans just pulled out and said, yeah, all right, you're on your own. Um, there was, a, there's, there's, there's a mountain of things that mistakes that were made on every single side. The Cold War, and I think we forget this, was a war. Um, I feel like I'm justifying and decrying at the same time. Um, Don't worry, I'll, with... I'll present the opposition after you're done. <laughs> I'm trying to... So, I think we took a lot of extreme options, and I'm not willing to condemn things from a seat of peace uh, that I'm sitting in. Um, but I feel like a lot of decisions could have been made a lot better in the Cold War. Um, and I'm sticking to the Cold War because uh, everything after the mid 80s is a very, very, very different animal. Um, How so though? Could, could you explain that a bit? Oh, uh, you want a book? No. Um, <laughs> so, once the Cold War dropped, uh, America became like Rome without Carthage um, and started throwing their weight around. Uh, and for a time, everything was peaceful. Um, and they did, they made some stupid mistakes after 9 11, uh, which I really don't want to get into uh, because that will cause digressions. Yes. Um, so That's a subject in and of itself. Yes, we could get into that but I don't want to get into it because we know what happened. Um, now, the interesting things are, is that we are facing, and I want to focus on rhetoric rather than instances of history. 
because extremism is a isn't so much an action as a justification of action. So mm-hmm. you get all these sides: Russia, China, America, uh, EU, uh, whatever political block or uh, opinion block of uh, you want to go to of rhetoric, each pushing one side or another, and the influence from. Sorry, I'm, I think I'm uh, moseying around, around this point. So the thing is that the influence is that every country is pushing against each other country is propaganda to support their aims in the world. Now, a country uh, works towards its ends. Now, some countries will be more extreme, say, say like a uh, Islamic theocracy or a you know something like ISIS, which claims, or uh, Kurdistan, which wants will do a lot of things in order to gain independence. And whether or not you think that's right or wrong, it's uh, well, Kurds are kind of fighting anybody who's not liking them that day, which doesn't seem that extreme because they're kind of surrounded. But you see, um, what happens is when you imbibe that influence and that propaganda and make a worldview out of it. Um, Now, uh, Workers of the World Unite is just as bad as we shall do anything to stop the spread of communism. Those are extreme positions. Now, sending influence over is, you know, status quo. If your country doesn't do it, your country's not going to last, period. I'm sorry. You didn't play the game. Uh, It's that simple. Do you think without um, propaganda, a country can't survive in the long term? I think without trying to influence the opinion of your opponents, your country is going to become influenced by those opponents. Uh, I think you need to come out with um, your own identity as to who you are as a people. Okay, well, maybe like that, but what you want as a country. Now, it can be. A, it doesn't have to be. We shall crush and you know attain the Lebensraum. But why not just have, we want to have a sustainable future where our citizens live free and peaceful. This is what Canada is. This is what we want for it. Uh, Can you do that without imposing your beliefs, though, on other countries? Or is that necessary component to it? Well, the thing is, is that they're doing it to you. We're getting Russian propaganda. We're getting Chinese propaganda every day. And it's having an effect. We have... uh, people pushing uh, these strange ideals that have nothing to do with our country in our country saying, well, we need to become more like China. It's like, no, (laughs) why, where is this coming from? So the enemy does need to know to some extent your intention. What what does that country want? And who are you? Why do you, why, why do you not mess with me? And I'm, I'm kind of explaining influence and propaganda and why you kind of need to have something out there rather than just, and it shouldn't be stupid. Um, a lot of it comes out in like, visit Alberta, go climb our mountains. They're great. Uh, travel ads, he means. Yeah. Thank you. But I was saying, like, we see a lot of that from China. Like, look at our great wall. Aren't we impressive? Aren't we impressive? Yeah. Look at our big <laughs> um, dam and it's bulge. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, yeah. The dam's not, gonna look, not looking so healthy. No. I also <laughs> predicted that, by the way, but <laughs> I like it. I don't like it when things happen, but I do like it when my predictions come true. <laughs> yeah. So, 
I think when it comes to extremism, you want to have that message be rational, I guess, and not, we will fight and destroy all of our enemies. It's like, well, why not? Instead of, you know, we will actively go out and destroy our enemies and, you know, beating your chest like uh, the the Cold War powers or um, flexing your muscles like China's doing right now at everybody who looks at them. Um, And why not just be like, look, our stuff, we are a peaceful country. But historically, when we've been pushed into a corner, we have acted very, very effectively. So let's all play, let's all play friends. That's a, a less extreme measure than uh, beating your chest on the world stage. So now a lot of people would say, well, you're still, you're still uh, threatening violence. You're still doing this. It's like, no, I'm saying I want peace but I'm willing, you know, walking softly, but carrying a big stick. I want prosperity, sustainability, and peace for Canadians, Americans, Mexicans. I literally want it for everybody. And I understand that you're going to have that, and that's going to form in a different way as to the, you know, uh, mores of whatever group you are. Now, I do think authoritarianism doesn't allow for that. And I don't really think freedom itself is a extreme. Now, does that mean, I'm coming to your question finally, uh, does that mean that I'm going to impose freedom on other groups of people? No. Um, It was a mistake to go into Afghanistan. Oh, dang it, I did it. Um, Because bringing them freedom was, uh, it didn't work. Uh, Now, you can claim whatever, in the end, it didn't work. And they may want it later, and they'll, they may be, they'll make it for themselves. And that's the thing. They'll make it for themselves. But that doesn't mean you can't be like, hey, freedom's pretty great. We're not going to bring it to you at the point of a gun. If you want to come ask us about it, you can. Don't come, don't ram the uh, airplanes Down into our buildings. And we won't, yeah, because we tend to act very chaotically when that happens. Um, so, and I re- we realize you hate us and we don't care. Um, so uh, if you want to come over, try and get in, we'd love to have you. But, uh, and if you want, you know, our scholars and our technology, let's talk. But um, I'm not going to come in and give it to you at the point of a gun. Uh, so the, the propaganda there is here's our conception of rights and freedom and why we do the things that we do. We think authoritarianism is not a good way to live. Yes, you get things done, but you don't exist as humans. No one wants to be a robot. Uh, so you, it's not conducive. I can't even remember who said this. I think it was Douglas Murray or something, but uh, it's not a good place to, it's not something you'd want to live in. You're, you're not acting as a uh, a person that exists as a person. You're existing as a person that exists as a machine. So that's where I'm coming from. And I can say that to all these people in all these other countries. Now to bring it to them at the point of a gun or uh, you know, with a spear, uh, that is an extreme position. So I have my beliefs. I'm allowed to have my beliefs because I can't know anything for sure. 
So I'm going to have to take a couple things on faith and reasonably work these things out. But if I blindly have those things and I blindly take and force those upon others, and that's an extreme position. I think that's a good place to break uh, for now. Coming so, back at you with part two. Uh, yeah, we'll see you in a bit. Bye.